Good morning. Welcome to worship. Welcome to church on this beautiful, beautiful summer day. Welcome to you. If you, this is your first time here at Sunrise, we want to welcome you in the service here. Welcome you if this is your first time joining us online. We're so happy you guys take the time, took the time to hang out with us, worship, and connect with the Lord today. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand? If this is your first time, there's that QR code right in front of you on the chair or on the link online. You guys can scan that, and it'll bring you to a quick little form that you can ask a couple questions of us. We have a couple questions for you. We'd love to just help you feel welcome, help you feel at home here at Sunrise, and um, want to f- help you feel connected. And you can fill that out, and we'd love to send you a gift later this week for doing that. So here, all of, all of you guys in the service, want to start out this morning with a brand new song um, called House of the Lord. The song speaks of the joy of the Lord and praising Him. And um, I was reading a little bit about this song, and the guy who wrote this song, Phil Wickham, he's written several songs that we do here at Sunrise, um, but this song he wrote actually last year during the pandemic, and um, he was just, um, just felt like, you know, everyone, a lot of people are at home, but they're still, we're still the church, each one of us, we're the church, is not just the building, and he, um, just trying to bring joy and happiness and excitement to this song, so this song is called House Lord, it may be brand new to you, you may have heard it on the radio, but Um, Let us sing. Join us when you feel comfortable. And let's bring some joy in the house of the Lord this morning. Let's sing together. Shout out in your parade, there's joy in the house of the Lord. 
you are close to us. Many times when we feel like we're praying or when we are praying or when we're singing in worship, we feel like we're singing to a God that's so far away. But God, we know you are near. Your word promises us that when two or more are gathered, you are in this place. God, as you draw near, we draw near to you. Receive our heart of praise this morning, God. Heal any wounds that we may be experiencing this morning, any hurt, any anguish, any despair, any stress, any depression. And God, replace that with joy. Replace that with happiness. Replace that with goodness and peace. For God, in your presence, there is joy. We thank you for that this morning. just declare that over everyone here this morning and everyone watching, that there be joy in our lives this morning and this, this week. Let the light press out the darkness. And we love you. We worship you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Well, good morning. My name is Carissa Dupuy, and I'm a partner here at Sunrise. And I just, it's good to be together this morning. And for those who are watching online, um, just still a part of this time together. We have some exciting events coming up over the next week and a half here that I just want to bring to your attention. And as Dan mentioned earlier, uh, if you're here in person and you scan the QR code in front of you or just go to our page, you can find all of that information. If you're watching online, there should be a link in the comments to give you more information about these events. Um, the first is this Tuesday, there's going to be another parents' night off or parents' time off. It's not in the nighttime this time. Um, from 1 to 3 p.m., parents can drop off their kids for a couple hours to just have some time to do whatever you want to do on your own. Um, it is helpful, and we do ask, if possible, that you sign up ahead of time. So again, just go to that link, or you can talk with Penny and um, register your kids for that. Also on Tuesday, and this is a change, the youth group is going to be getting together on Tuesday this week instead of on Wednesday, and they're going to be at uh, the Maskills house at the lake in their backyard, um, going to be tubing and doing all sorts of fun stuff outside. So that is going to be 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. on Tuesday night, and that's for any um, students all the way from incoming sixth graders up through seniors. And finally, this is a little bit further out, but in about a week and a half on July 20, we're going to have a movie night. And I talked with Penny about this this morning. Um, if you watch the Facebook page over the next few days, there's going to be a chance to vote for the movie that will be shown that evening. That'll be at 7.30 p.m. on July 20. It's a Tuesday night. If the weather is cooperating, it'll be outdoors. If not, we'll bring the event indoors. But uh, check that out. Check out more information. And if you don't have one of these yet, um, these are available in the lobby calendars of all the events coming up later on this summer. Thank you.
Good morning, sunrise. It's nice and cool today. For those of you who don't know, my name is Stephanie, and I'm excited to um, talk with you about God's Word this morning. But before I do, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for who you are. I pray that your spirit will fill us this morning, that you will guide us, that you will help us listen to the truth, that you will have us get out of your words what it is you have for us this morning. In your name, amen. All right, so this summer we've been going through the book of Acts. And Acts is a book written by Luke, and it's to Theophilus, which means friend of God, which means it's for all of us who are friends of God. And what Luke is teaching the original readers and us is how we should now live now that God in bodily form as Jesus is no longer here on this earth. What do we do? So we learned in Acts 1 that we should start out with prayer and by having the right people walk alongside of us. In Acts 2, we find out that the Holy Spirit is given to us, to anyone who believes in God. In Acts 3, we learn to look for what other people need and to give what we have. And last week, we learned that our choices can lead to life or they can lead to death. And this week, we see this reality play out in the life of Stephen. We're going to be in Acts 6 this morning. We'll start in verse 8. And we're going to be covering a lot of ground, so we have some slides. Dan tells me it's a slide record, so if you like slides, well, you're in luck this morning because we're going to have some. <laughs> so in Acts 6, 8, we find Stephen, and that he's a deacon, and it is his job to help the people of God. And we find in 6, verse 8, that he was a man full of God's grace and power who did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So this means that everyone is excited about him, right? Everyone is like, go, Stephen, you're doing miraculous signs and wonders, and you're full of grace and power. Of course not. Anytime that God is working through someone, someone will have a problem with it. In Stephen's case, this was people in a local synagogue who were not happy with what he was saying, and they started arguing with him. But the thing was... No matter how much they argued with him, they couldn't get anything to stick because Stephen was full of grace and power and wisdom. So it says in verse 10, they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. So naturally, they came to their senses and they said, oh, well, we can't even argue with him, so he must be right. He must be right about this Jesus he's speaking of, so we're going to follow him and the Jesus he speaks of, right? No. Once again, no, that would be too easy. Instead, because they can't get anything to stick with the truth, they decide to lie about him. In verse 11, it says, They secretly persuaded some men to say, Hey, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people, and the elders and the teachers of the law they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. And then they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, which was the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So they brought up false witnesses to make things up. And then we read in verse 15 that all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like a face of an angel. Now, different commentators have different uh, takes on what this does or does not mean, but clearly it goes in the positive, com uh, positive column for Stephen. This is a plus. Then in Acts 7 verse 1, the Sanhedrin ask a logical question, and they say, uh, Stephen, is this true? Now, if I were Stephen, my first response would be, no. 
But that's not what Stephen does. He doesn't even really directly defend himself. Instead, he goes on a 52-ish verse monologue about it. And not just a monologue, but a story. He starts off with Abraham. Over here, up on our wall, we have Abraham. He starts off with Abraham. He says in verse 2, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. And then he tells the story of how God told Abraham to leave his country and his people. Of how God covenanted with Abraham, even though he had no child yet, that God would make his descendants as many as the stars in the sky or the sand on the beach. Of how God covenanted with Abraham that even though he owned no land, that his numerous descendants would possess the land. Okay, Stephen, that's great. But these are some serious accusations you're up against. And the Sanhedrin already know this story. It's literally their job to know this stuff. This is like telling a pastor of 30 years what John 3.16 says or why we celebrate Easter. But the thing is, Stephen isn't telling this story because they're unfamiliar with it. Stephen is showing them where his loyalties lie. He brings up the God of glory and his covenant promises because this is the beginning of Israel's story. It's the beginning of the Sanhedrin's story and Stephen's story and our story. It's where the story of how God makes the world right again begins. Stephen is pointing out that he and the Sanhedrin have this shared history a history where God promised that regardless of what we could do for him, he would bring about our promises. He would be our rescuer. In chapter 7, verse 8, Stephen continues by saying, Abraham became the father of Isaac, just like God said he would, and Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons who the Sanhedrin would have known as the patriarchs. And one of those patriarchs was Joseph. Stephen reminds us in verse 9 that because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave to Egypt. But God was with Joseph and gave him wisdom, just like Stephen has. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, makes Joseph second in command. And then a famine strikes. And Joseph's family doesn't have any food, so they come to Egypt and are rescued by their brother Joseph, who brings his whole family to Egypt and provides for them. So here we have Joseph, who was rejected, and he becomes the rescuer. Joseph, who just like Stephen is full of God's wisdom, who was rejected by his own people, just like Stephen, and who even though he was rejected by his very own brothers became their rescuer. Stephen goes on in the chapter to remind the Sanhedrin that the number of God's people in Egypt greatly increased. Again, just like God promised Abraham that they would. But then a new Pharaoh who knew nothing of Joseph came to power. And as Stephen puts it in chapter 7, verse 19, he dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. During this time, Moses, who's a little bit further down here, was born, but he was miraculously saved. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, and he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in speech and action. Now, when Moses was 40, he saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, when he killed the Egyptian. Stephen tells us in verse 25 here that Moses thought his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. So Moses fled. And 40 years later, God came to Moses and said in verse 32, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Then Stephen remarks in verse 35 here, This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, 
Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself. And Moses does deliver them. Verse 36 says, He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. So that means the people will follow him. They're going to listen to him no matter what, right? Eh, No. They rejected him once, but now he's performed miracles. He's become their rescuer. Surely they're going to stick by Moses now. Nope. (laughs) Stephen tells us in verse 39 here, Our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him. And in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They turned their hearts back to the place where their babies were literally being slaughtered. So here we have Moses, who is wisdom. There's a little asterisk there because it was of the Egyptians. A man who is powerful in speech and action, who performed many wonders and signs, again, like Stephen, who was rejected and became the rescuer and was rejected again. Now, why is Stephen telling us about Abraham and Joseph and Moses? We kind of talked about Abraham. It establishes that shared history that the Sanhedrin and Stephen had, that Stephen and we have. But then what about Joseph and Moses? Well, he is, it, this is partially a defense. He's saying, hey, Sanhedrin, we have this shared history, this shared God, this shared identity, I think that's, yep. Dan's getting slow over there. (laughs) I believe in the God of glory. I believe in the God of our ancestors. Now, remember they had accused him of blaspheming God and Moses, but they also talked about him destroying this holy place, the temple. So Stephen goes on to talk about that. He talks about the tabernacle first, which was a special place set aside to signify God's presence while they were wandering in the wilderness. This tabernacle was then brought to the land that God promised Abraham, and it came true. And after a while, David, who's further along the line here, David said, hey, I want to build you, God, a permanent dwelling place. And God allowed David's son, Solomon, to do so. So his false accusers said he spoke against the holy place, the temple. And here Stephen defends himself by saying in verse 48, The Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. Yeah, this temple is cool and all, but God is way bigger than a building. Stephen goes on to quote Isaiah. I'd like to think that this is starting to tick the Sanhedrin off a little bit because they're the experts in the Old Testament, and Stephen is using it against them. He says in verse 49 that God says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all of these things? Stephen doesn't directly say, nope, I didn't say anything about destroying the temple. Instead, he uses the Holy Scripture, revered by all in the room, to note that the temple is not the point. The tabernacle was a mobile dwelling place for God. The temple was a permanent dwelling place for God. But Stephen turns this on its head and quotes God himself, reminding the Sanhedrin that the whole Cosmos is God's dwelling place. This isn't about following the rules of a building. God is way bigger than that. And then things get really heated. And we find out the rest of why Stephen told us this whole story. Stephen, the accused, turns things around and becomes the accuser. He declares in verse 51, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. Another way to say that is they are still disobedient. 
You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They certainly did with Joseph and Moses. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. Stephen, the accused, looks right at those who hold all the power and says, You are just like our ancestors who rejected Joseph. You are just like our ancestors who rejected Moses twice. And you are the ones who betrayed and murdered the righteous one. Jesus, you think you're amazing at following the rules, but you actually have disobeyed when it matters most. Surprisingly, this did not sit well. Luke tells us that the Sanhedrin were furious. But then Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing At the right hand of God. Look, he said in verse 56, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Because when no one else would stand for Stephen, when no one else would listen, Jesus stood for him. But this was simply too much for the crowd. Even though before them stood a gracious man who spoke the truth with wisdom, performed signs and wonders, and had a face like an angel, they stubbornly refused to listen. Instead, they covered their ears and began yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. How do we come to this story this morning? We're going to talk about some reflection questions on this. And I want you to take the time to really see where you are in this story. I know all of us when we come to the story, we want to think we're Stephen, right? Like, we are full of grace and wisdom and truth, except for the whole getting martyred part. We'd prefer to stay alive. So let's think about where we are this morning. Are we stoned or are we stoners? <laughs> See what I did there? The pastor jokes are rubbing off on me. I blame Dan. <laughs> um, so maybe more accurately, are we being stoned or are we stone throwers? Instead of jumping to quick conclusions about who we are in this passage, let's ask the Holy Spirit to search us and to know us as we consider these questions. Can we identify truth? Do we know the biblical story well enough to discern truth from error? This is why we read our Bibles. This is why we prioritize being with other Christians. This is why we pray. It's not about a checklist or bragging rights. We don't do it out of guilt. We do it so we can know the truth from error. It's about knowing how to be Jesus to others. But knowing is not enough. Are we emulating Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Jesus and Stephen, by being full of grace and wisdom, full of the Spirit? Are we embodying God's story and becoming a rescuer by pointing people to the ultimate rescuer? Or are we emulating the Sanhedrin and the crowd by being legalistic or by putting tradition above God's movement? Are we full of false accusations toward others? or willing to listen to false accusations toward others? Are we twisting God's story 
to favor our own agenda? What do we do when we face truth? Hey, kids, I know you're all busy, but when you are in trouble at home or your parents are telling you something that's true, do they like it if you cover your ears, yell, and throw stones at them? Anyone? No? Okay. Yeah, that's what to not do here. (laughs) But so often when we are faced with truth, that's what we want to do, right? We don't want to hear it. We don't want to ask the Holy Spirit to work in us, right? We want to cover our ears, yell, and throw stones at the people who are telling the truth to us, right? I mean, I have been there. It is a lot easier to cover our ears than to listen. I don't know where you're at this morning, if you're throwing stones or being stoned or maybe a bit of both. If you're being stoned for speaking the truth, for leading well, for pointing people toward Jesus' way of life, know this. Jesus is standing for you. As one commentator points out, Stephen's situation is often experienced most closely by elders, pastors, and other spiritual leaders. And this has been a year for pastors all over the world, for elders all over the world, for spiritual leaders all over the world where stones have been thrown. This morning, please hear this. If you are a leader, whether in the church or out of it, who is full of grace and wisdom in the spirit, because of course, not all leaders are, This is about leaders who are full of grace and truth and the Spirit. And if you're speaking the truth, God is standing up for you no matter what stones are being thrown. Ask him for the strength to pray for mercy for those who are throwing stones at you. Because there's no way we do that in our own power, right? Like That's the part of the story that I'm like, yeah, not like Stephen. Because as people are literally throwing stones at him, he is praying that God will forgive them. And if this morning, as you've asked the Spirit to search you and know you and do his work in you, you've realized that you've been throwing stones, drop them. So instead, you can hold on to grace and wisdom. And truth. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace and your wisdom and your truth. Thank you for your spirit who works within us. I pray that we will all this morning ask you to search us and know us, to know the places in our lives where we throw stones. And help anyone who has having stones thrown at them, who is full of grace and wisdom and truth, to know that you are standing for them. And help us all to have grace and wisdom and mercy at all times, no matter what stones are being thrown. In your name, amen. We're going to move back into a time of worship. And uh, as we do this, we're not going to have a formal giving of tithes and offerings and have the ushers come up, but you can use this time to worship and pray and bring your tithes back to the bucket in the back or use the QR code. But in all that, let's focus our gaze back on Jesus as we worship and sing to him. Grace, love, and anyone could ever know It overcame the cross and grave to find my soul Until I see you face to face Grace amazing takes me trust in you Grace and grace and takes me on, I trust in you. 
our story. It's all of our story. We are on the same team. We are living the same story. So let's leave the rocks on the ground. Let's be filled with God's grace and his spirit and his truth and his love and his power. And let's go into this week taking the story and proclaiming our rescuer to those around us. Have a great week.